It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sid, let's imagine that Cruz and Modric don't exist and Real Madrid's only midfielders are Jude Bellingham, Eduardo Camavinga, Aurelien Chouameni, Fede Valverde and Dani Ceballos. Do Brahim and Guler qualify as midfielders or are we counting them as forwards? Forwards for, for this debate. Forwards, okay. So the rest are midfielders. So... Kamavinga, Chuameni, Fede, Jude, that's what, that's four, and Ceballos, that's five. Uh, imagine a player like Gavi. So for me, in this case, his if he exists at Real Madrid, he's going to be like the sixth choice midfielder who plays the first round of the Copa del Rey and only comes in if we are battered with injuries or something, and or only comes in if we are to waste time. We need some time-wasting presence on the pitch. That's like that's my take on him. I'm pretty sure your take is a bit different on that. Uh, I'd love to hear that on today's podcast. I'm excited about it. So, what's up, Sid? And what's going to be your order for Gavi if he existed at Real Madrid in the present setting? I, I don't know about him being the Copa del Rey midfielder. That would be a little extreme. <laughs> <laughs> um I think Gavi would probably be a starting midfielder, but that's a good question. It's a tough question. Gavi, Pedri, these these guys are very generational, even though they're nothing like our midfielders. I think Gavi would start. I think one of Gavi or Pedri would be a definitive starter for Real Madrid. All right. Uh, if they would be and how they could be, we'll discuss all of that on today's episode of the Real Deal podcast. Let's go. <laughs> Do you take caffeine at all? Like, I'm having coffee right now, so that's what I'm asking. 
I really avoid it actually pretty rare. Um, I have, I have very secret ways of using caffeine as well that I save and for all my clients. It's, I have some very secret tricks. Secret ways of using caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Like I, 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 I have used caffeine this year, 10, 10, 12 times. How I use it. That's, that's a mystery for all of you to wonder. All right. All right. All right. We'll, we will keep that a mystery, but there's another mystery that we will like to uncover today and that's if Gavi is the Copa del Rey midfielder at Real Madrid or better than that. So today's discussion is all about comparing the midfield profiles of the two biggest clubs in Spain, Real Madrid and Barcelona. Uh, Madrid obviously going through a time where they have, if we like get or rank the top 10 young midfielders or midfielders in the world, five of them play for our club. Gavi and Pedri will be somewhere there. Uh, their profile is a lot different than what we have at our clubs. There is also that discussion about how this generation is similar and not similar to the previous generations of midfielders that both of these clubs had. We're going to tackle all of that on today's episode. But where do you want to start, Sid, uh, about this whole thing? I think it's just funny how Camavinga and Gavi are so hated by each each other's fan base at, in Real Madrid and Barcelona. Like, there seems to be this running competition where both fan bases want to see who can say worse things about the other player team's young midfielder. <laughs> Whether that's calling Gavi useless or Camavinga useless, um, I think that's a great place to start because Camavinga and Gavi, they came out of nowhere. Like One day, Camavinga was this young 30 million signing who Barcelona fans could make fun of because he's just a random young player. The next day, he's winning us the game against Man City, and you know we can make fun of them. One day, Gavi is just this chavi, like you change, you swap a letter in, and you get Gavi, and that's all he was to Real Madrid fans. And then the next day, he's a legitimate starting midfielder. He's not a meme. He's actually a really good player. The way they both became starting caliber out of nowhere is, uh, I just think, really funny looking into team psychology, like. I know Real Madrid fan wanted to accept Gavi as a really good player for so long, but now he's actually like so good, so generational. Like I don't think we've seen one player with all his traits. And same for Camavinga. Um, I guess we can start with how they're all unicorns, like all these young midfielders. One day we were lamenting Cruz and Modric being having no replacements, Xavi and Iniesta not getting replaced. Next day we're looking at five, six really good young midfielders on both teams. And if you add Fermin as well, that's another one for Barcelona. Um, I, I guess Gavi, let's start with someone as young as him. I know he's not the Real Madrid player, but he's like a hybrid of an Angolo Kante or an Arturo Vidal with the Andres Iniesta style ability to be an eight. What do you think of that? Like the reason I, I don't see him ever being a sixth choice midfielder at Real Madrid is because he brings the defensive intensity of a top midfielder and he brings the controlling capacity of a top midfielder. He's not Pedri or Iniesta or Cruz in terms of controlling the game, but he's close enough where he's very good at ball security, just keeping the ball. And he's as good as anyone defensively. He's so short, but he brings all the Kante level. Kante was tiny too. He, he's just like Kante defensively. I'd say. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I think a lot depends on where or which team they're playing for. My argument is that 
yeah, I can I can talk myself or anyone into you know, I can convince myself or anyone that Pedri can be a starter at Real Madrid and because of how the Real Madrid's roster is set up, but my argument is that Gavi cannot at least a starter because you see Pedri's qualities as a ball player and the final third and his vision to like find those intricate passes is so superior we can probably talk ourselves in talk ourselves into that okay let's have Kamavinga play as a 6 let's have Pedri as an 8 that still gives us the chance to play Jude and Fede and we can work with that midfield but let's say we have a midfield four with Jude as the diamond as the as the current season's going on and we have a midfield four of Chuamini, Kamavinga, Fede and Jude. I don't see this midfield being any better if Pedri comes in. Because you see, if we if we are talking about the ball carrying abilities, Kamavinga and Fede are both phenomenal ball carriers. If we are talking about ball winners, Kamavinga is a ridiculous ball winner. And I know Gavi probably has more press resistance than Kamavinga. Uh, he, he's very good on the ball. And that's that's pretty much true for any Barcelona midfielder because that's how they're like brought up since age six probably. But apart from that particular aspect and how Real Madrid plays... I don't think Gavi is a necessity or Gavi would be a starter at Real Madrid. Obviously, if the game state changes, we're like 1-0 we're like up, we're defending a 1-0 uh, lead and we need that kind of a physical presence, I can see him as a substitute. But I don't see him as a starter. Pedri, I do. Pedri, I do. If we are... Because we have seen the pros and cons of having Kamavinga as the DM or Kamavinga as the eight. I can definitely talk myself into that, that if Kamavinga plays at 6, I can easily have Pedri as a left-sided 8, at Real, even at a club like Real Madrid. With the profile of Gavi, and objectively speaking, how Real Madrid plays, I don't think Gavi really walks into the starting lineup. Now, the conversation changes if we are talking about football generally or talking about teams that play alike, like the Spanish national team. Uh, or Barcelona, so that's my take on that particular matter. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to see how much the conversation changes depending on the team. Um, I guess what's so weird is Pedri's the one who's hurt now. So with Pedri being hurt, I think out of all the young midfielders on both teams, he's at the most risk of not having a generational career the way the others could. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think all these midfielders would start. Um, more or less for any team in the world. Kamalinga, every team in the world would want him. Same for Fede, same for Chuameni, same for Pedri and Gavi. Um, and yeah, I guess out of all of them, Gavi, uh, Gavi, Chuameni, Kamalinga, Fede all have 99th percentile defensive ability, I would say. Um, and I think it's very rare for Real Madrid and Barcelona to have the defend the midfielders who are also just the best at defending outright on top of just being amazing on the ball. So, like, in the past, we saw Xavi and Iesta Busquets. They were amazing at pressing, but I don't think any one of them was physically as imposing as a Gavi, which was which is what makes his profile so interesting. And even Fermin Lopez, we see coming up from La Masia, very physical profile, not, like, still really good turning, still really good in possession, but so good at tackling. Um, 
And I think that's one area where Real Madrid's players, they also have a lot of those two-way abilities. What we don't have that those guys bring, in, especially Yavi Pedri, is that positioning of the high eight. Not only are they more press resistant, I feel the education they've been given, they just have more of an idea of how to retain the ball higher up in the middle third. Um, I think Camavinga is really press resistant when he's asked to dribble, very press resistant outside the block, especially in the left back zones, in the wider zones as a dribbler. Um, I'd say Fede, after many years, has figured out how to become more press resistant in the middle third as well. Um, But Chuameni as well, quite press resistant. But in the higher central zones, there's something that Pedri and Gabby bring that's just so unique to them. That Pedri brings himself, it's like this Iniesta-style ability to show up between the lines, pick up the ball, control the game. Um, do you think any of our midfielders control the game? I think that's something that Gabby started exploring more this season as he's dropped deeper. Um, the main area where I see either of them starting uh, for Real Madrid is Camavinga can't not only press resi- like resist the press, but control the games to the degree of a Gabby. Um, Chuameni can control games, but since he plays so deep, that influence that Pedri or Gabby can have on the game is just higher. They're stealing of influence. What do you think? That's a very interesting point. And I think this ceiling of influence has got to do with the kind of circumstances Gavi and Pedri started their Barcelona careers and the kind of circumstances that our young midfielders started their Real Madrid careers. You see, Pedri and Gavi, and there was this... Was his name Yusuf Demir? There was this other guy who was hyped up even more than Gavi and Pedri. And I, I don't even know if he played. Demir him. was very hyped up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, at that time when they walked in, that is all that Barcelona had. Like, that was it. They were the only things that, like, they were the only players that Barcelona could rely on. Busquets was the only one from the old pack or, or from the old guard. Soon Rakitic moved on. And the midfield was basically these guys like Pedri, Gavi, Nico Gonzalez, uh, Yusuf Demir with Busquets. So, they got a higher level of trust, almost like desperate trust from the club that, okay, now, whatever it is, you, you are the guys, you guys have to figure it out or like learn how to play the Barca way, blah, blah, blah. And as funny as it is, it worked. Like it, they, they learned how to control games at a very young age for a very big club. But at Real Madrid, that's not how the things are seen. If... Madrid are 1-0 down in the 70th minute, we still bring on Modric because we don't think, we don't probably, as good as they are, we still don't have that kind of trust on Kamavinga or, or uh, Fede or anyone like that. We still have that kind of trust on Kroos and Modric. Now, I'm not saying that in a negative sense at all. It's not like that the club doesn't have trust on a Jude or a Fede or a Kamavinga to... Uh, control the games from the 70th minute on. It's just the fact that we have that luxury that our veterans are still at a level, our club's stability is still at a level that we can still bring on a Cruz or a Modric if needed. And there will be a time when they will move on. There will be a time that ceiling of influence will build up for a Jude or a Kamavinga or a Chuamani or a Fede as well. It's just got a bit late for Real Madrid because we're probably just suffering from success because our club's better run. We didn't have 
like we are having a graceful transition of Cruz and Modric uh, that Barcelona just couldn't afford. They had to let go of players. Their players moved on differently than how Cruz and Modric will move on. So their players had to learn how to influence the game at a more tender age than a Kamavinga or a Chouameni, Jude, Fede, whoever we are talking about. So I think that influence ceiling has a lot to do with the circumstances of each club. Yeah, yeah. And it seems the way the players see the game has changed a little as a result in line with their own club. Like a Jude, Jude plays, he can play in the same zones, I would say, as a Gabby or Pedri. He can receive in the same zones. He can even drive in very similar zones, maybe a little higher up. But his intention is never going to be the same. It's when he receives the ball, the defense hones in on him as the focal point of the offense. And he he's often either trying to create something or he's just giving the ball back. Whereas Pedri or Gavi, especially Pedri, there's always an element of receiving the ball, deceiving the defender, maybe not making it obvious to the defender where the ball is going, kind of slowing down the game in time. Um, we don't see that as much with Jude. With someone like Kamavinga, he's so dr- good at dribbling. And yeah, as we established, he was thrown on in situations where he was going to win the game or the older players are still being trusted. Um, it's funny, though. We, we talk about all the control. And Barcelona with Pedri and Gavi have only ever controlled the game for certain stretches. It wasn't like his first season in charge, I would say. They don't even control games as much nowadays. So... We are clutching at some straws here when we make this comparison. Whereas Real Madrid, sure, we don't control games, but now we've been using Camavinga and Fede in a starting role for multiple seasons now. They've been playing very important minutes. And um, when you consider that, it's possible that Pedri and Gavi never become that great at controlling games. Um, I just think it's interesting. Like, Do you think that Cruz and Modric's ability to control games will get replaced at all with between Ceballos... Chuameni, Camavinga, Fede, Bellingham. I think not probably to the degree of Cruz and Modric because I think that's unique to them. No, I don't think like anyone can do that. And even when we're like talking about this debate, Cruz, Modric, Xavi, Iniesta, I think Xavi and Iniesta's decline was off the cliff. Cruz and Modric's decline is, has not been off the cliff. Uh, well, I would argue that Cruz is actually not declining. He's still very, very much on top of his game. Uh, but even if you're talking about Modric, yes, he's like probably not 2017 Modric, but uh, what's the game we played? Uh, I think it was against Braga where he was like absolutely unbelievable. Modric, Modric was like crazy in one of the recent games. And, exa- I, I, and Classico as well. Yeah, yeah, like he completely changed the Classical, right? So... Javi and Iniesta's, like, as good as they were, their decline was kind of off the cliff. Like, one day they, like, suddenly disappeared out of the scene. For Javi, yes, like, he still had that role that you and I have discussed previously in the 14-15 season. And then he moved on, right? Uh, I think Iniesta stayed uh, a couple of more seasons. But then again, he was nowhere near, like, 2012-2013 Iniesta at that time. But... If we are talking about Cruz and Modric, Modric is like Modric 2023 is closer to Modric 2017 than what Iniesta 2018 was to Iniesta 2012. Uh, if if that makes any sense, uh, in that in that regard, 
their level of controlling games were, is an, like in a different hemisphere. We might never see that from our like new core, Kamavinga, Jude, Fede, Chuameni. But I think they will have their imposition on the game differently. They will impose themselves on the game differently. It doesn't necessarily have to be control. And Real Madrid has been a club, especially in big games, we have never looked for that kind of control. I think apart from a couple of Zidane seasons, we have actually felt more comfortable without that control. Uh, that chaos has brought better stuff out of our club. And when it's madness, when it's particularly Real Madrid's madness, there is a definitive method behind it. It is just not by chance. So I will bet that even the new midfield core might you know, ride that tide and do something with it. The control might come at some point, probably not to the extent of Cruz and Modric, but because of the quality is so high in this midfield, that would still be a you know very high level of comfort, uh, uh, control, even if it's not at the level of Cruz and Modric. Yeah, I think what's interesting is Barcelona's level of control is very predicated on high physical level. Like you have to kind of be at a physical peak where you can win the ball back from your opponent. And you need to be at a mental peak where you're receiving in the right spaces. You need to be dialed in. If you're, That's why I think for Xavi, we saw him struggle so much until he had to come off the bench under Enrique in his last season because that style of play Barcelona expect, you have to be perfect. And that's what's so interesting about Xavi's Barcelona this time because they had a period when they had more young players playing with Pedri and Gabi. And the best they looked under Xavi was when Aubameyang was starting a striker because all the young players had to play. I think that's still weird because Danny Alves was playing it right back when they were playing so well. <laughs> and he wasn't good, but something clicked in all their players physically where nobody's hurt. Pedri's 100% healthy. They haven't run him into the ground yet at that time. So since everyone's healthy, you get this comfort cognitively and physically where you, since everyone's confident they can go win the balls back that they will arrive in the right spaces at the right times they can execute their style at a high level and that style though requires the confluence of so many factors to come together and um i think football has changed where it's harder and harder to control games because man city we see now they play like four center backs and they just pass the ball around conservatively that's their way of winning which i respect but it's also funny to see that's what the great Man City has come to. And, um, the, you know, the style has changed. And that's where I sympathize with Xavi at Barcelona because if Pedri and Gavi aren't 100% healthy and Gundogan, then actually controlling games is really difficult. And so even the fact that Pedri and Gavi can help control games becomes diminished. It's not as valuable. If, if controlling games in the first place is difficult, then... Having players who can do it 50% of the time is not that useful. Whereas Real Madrid, it seems we've accepted that we're not going to replace Cruz or Modric directly. And we've accepted we're not going to get their controlling abilities anymore. So our players, our young midfielders all seem comfortable with the fact that a lot of their control will come from defending, from tackling. Um, and it, I, what I just find so interesting is that I, that doesn't make me disappointed, even though after watching the Zidane years, I had pretty much gotten addicted to controlling football because once you see a team control and win games, you realize there's no better superiority because you have 
you, you the opponent can't force you to do anything when you're controlling the game with the ball. Um, when you can't do that, you, it brings a level of inferiority into into play. Like there, there are moments where if you can't control the game, the opposition will get to do what they want with you watching, and so you're not watching as dominant a team. It's just less effective. Um, but I guess yeah, it's interesting that I don't feel inferior when I see Jude, when I see Kamavinga, Chuomeni, and Fede. Because if you can't control the game with the ball, you have to be able to run twenty four seven, which is what all these guys do. They just don't stop running. Yeah. I love to see. Yeah, that that control uh, during the Zidane, Zidane's time was was beautiful in a sense that that team had that team needs to be like studied, man. Like that sixteen seventeen team needs to be studied because. You see, that team had scored goals like, I don't know if you remember, that goal versus Betis. It was like one of the most devastating counter-attack goals, finished off by Pepe, I think. I think it was started off by Pepe and then he ran all the way to the box and almost like seven or eight Real Madrid players had touches on that. It was almost, almost at as good of a counter-attack as the one versus Ajax in 2012. And that team also knew how to control games. All like the Champions League uh, quarterfinals, Champions League second legs, where the team was sometimes struggling, but then they initiate like immediately opted for control, and the opposition would just you know go away from that. Especially like you know the Champions League quarterfinal uh, semifinal of 2017 second leg, where we were leading three 0 in the first leg, and then conceded very early two goals uh, at the Calderon, and then Isco scored, but. From there on, the team controlled the game to perfection, and like we went to another final. So that balance between control and transition was just beautiful in that, uh, like for that team. Uh, where do you want to move it from here? I I actually do have a question. The midfield of Jude Bellingham, sorry, Jude Kamavinga, Chuameni, and Fede. How do you see this operating? under a coach like Xavi Alonso, uh, do they still operate from a diamond formation or Jude moves in as an eight? Uh, what happens there? Because there are these are four very heavy, very big midfield names. Uh, what kind of approach we might see from a coach like Xavi Alonso, who is so much different in his approach than what we have with Carlo Ancelotti right now? Yeah, I mean... I think no matter what, you end up having two sixes in most situations. And if one of them is Chuameni, he's going to play at the base. So I think you'd have situations where we play a more conventional diamond. Fede and Camavinga flank Chuameni. Bellingham up front in front of them. That's the more conventional way to do it. I think what's so fun is that Fede can really play higher up. So the very, you, you get a lot of variations from that base of Chuameni, Camavinga, Fede, where Fede moves higher up, or maybe Camavinga drives higher up with Bellingham and Fede drops deeper. Um, I guess, like, it's hard to describe in English, but what I see is just the room for a very multifaceted team when you play all those midfielders. Like, one player drives up, nobody gets caught out behind them. Somebody else covers for them. Um, or you can dynamically read the situations. You can take the ball up together in groups if you need to. If you sense that the opposition have a lot of qualitative superiority, then you cover for your friend. Um, it's sort of like playing with your friends. I don't know how else to describe it. Because all the all of them, 
Chuomeni is the only one who can't really carry the ball out of the four, and he's still a decent progressive carrier. He can carry. He still averages over one progressive carry per ninety, which is um, which to put in English terms is just driving the ball. I think over ten yards up the field. So, our worst at driving the ball is Chuomeni. So I would expect him to be the conductor, and then you really can have Fede and Camavinga, like. You, want, you would want Camavinga to be a little deeper than Fede, Fede to be a little higher up than Camavinga, Bellingham playing the highest. After that, it's all on the coach to make sure everything is interchangeable. Like, I think in a system like that, by telling them to do too much, like stand in one place, you restrict them too much. You want them to, um, someone like Camavinga, you want him to decide when to drive the ball forward or not. You want him to decide literally based on the momentum of the opposition defender. Hey, is this a good situation to attack or not? And um, that's where I expect... Xabi Alonso to allow for very spontaneous driving of the ball with the with feet um, into open space, a very dribble heavy midfield. Like that's where the Cruz and Modric midfield we saw under Zidane. I think it's a very far cry from what we can should expect from these young guys because um, from them it was a lot of like 60, 70 pass games, which we're gonna get from these guys. But from them, it was 60, 70 passes at very fixed tempo, consistent tempo that would lull the opposition. From these guys, it's going to be much more random passes, much more random dribbles, um, much more spontaneous, uh, like, just a bit more like a playground game, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that actually excites me because uh, I really want to see those you know third-man runs into the box from one of our midfielders if the other ones are like hogging the ball or like uh, trying to resist the press uh, etc because even in the current team these things happen but not by design these things happen currently by instinct because that's the kind of approach Ancelotti take takes with the you know independence of flexibility or like creativity in the final third but with a coach like Javi Alonso I think those things will happen by design and those things will be well drilled uh, into the system of the team. Now, I obviously enjoy the creativity up front as well, but I think Javi is a coach who will allow for, who will have some room for that creativity as well. Not everything will be very, very like Pep style. Uh, and that's that's necessary at, at a club like Real Madrid. That balance is, I think, necessary. Right now, what we have is a lot of creativity, very less control. And we also don't want like very less creativity and a lot of control, I think, the truth or like the perfect formula is somewhere in the middle and that's what we might get if we hire someone like Javi Alonso. Foster Koglu's Tottenham might be a good area to look at like I know they played some very naive games in the last week but their their style of attacking is just very they see space they just hunt it they they don't wait instinctively they attack it. Um, Deserbi is another coach whose teams I expect our midfielders to play a bit more like um because with Cruz and Modric, since they can't like drive the ball in that that many situations to the degree that Camavinga or Fede can, it just opens up a different style of play, and that's where for the Barcelona midfielders they have more control, but um, they don't necessarily have the same degree of ball carrying. Um, Gavi is a good dribbler, to be fair. Gavi and Pedri. I'd say the main difference between the, their midfielders and ours is there's just two of them. Um, there's one Pedri. There's one Gavi. And now there's one Furman, so that's three. We have four, and if Ceballos can get really good, we have five really good midfielders in our ranks. And 
Ceballos should be fine. He's just been injured a lot. And, you know, that's where they only have three. I guess Gundogan and Deong play well. They have five as well. Obviously, Deong being older. Um, I, I just like the diversity of our profiles more. Like, Jude, Jude is like nobody that's on their team or ours. I'd say he's not even a midfielder in for this conversation. He's, um, I don't even know how to compare him to anyone, but he he's a bit like, Arturo Vidal defensively, but he brings Zidane's goal scoring, would you say? Oh, probably like Kaka's goal scoring. I recently compared him with Kaka in, like, on the Twitter account. Because, yeah, with Judas, you see a lot of his finishes, they'll not like really look the prettiest finish. Uh, they'll look a bit lackluster. They'll look a bit last minute, one touch. Kaka's game at times was like that. But the thing is, this is not... This is very subjective how you look at it because I enjoy these kind of scrappy goals uh, as much as, like, as funny as it sounds because you are not in that kind of position to score these goals if you are not elite of the ball. Jude is elite of the ball, like Kaka was elite of the ball. And uh, the finishing techniques, even, like, defending techniques, tackling techniques, these are different, you know, from player to player. Uh, Sergio Ramos... One of the greatest defenders of all time. His tackling style, his defending style was not exactly orthodox. That's why it looked like, oh, he's like this physical beast or something. But that was still very efficient. He's, he's one of the goats. So Jude is like that. Like his, his ball striking is not like David Beckham-esque. It's not by the book every time. But it works. It, it's very, very efficient for his teams. And that is the only thing that matters. Uh, and his Jude is such a unique profile men- mentally as well because his mentality of being a winner aligns so well with uh, with Real Madrid. I-, I tweeted this yesterday. I found a poll uh, of a Barcelona account. They were talking about like whether to win the league with like shitty football or not to win the league but play good football. And like about 46-47% of Barcelona fans voted they would rather not win the league and play some good football. That is like atrocious to me. That is like arrest this, these people. I will I will take like 1-0 wins throughout the 38-game season to win a league. I do not care. Uh, uh, is it... Was it Michael Owen who said like to beat your opponent, you have to score like one goal more than them or something like that. I live by that completely. A uh, lot of the conversations we're having, obviously, we, we love these things. We want to get into this detail. But the goal should always be winning. And uh, for the stature of a club like Real Madrid, obviously, every time it will not be ugly. And at the same time, every time it will not be beautiful. But the goal should always remain uh, and the positivity that is associated with winning. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It should be about winning. Um, yeah, we, we're just in a funny time where, like last season's Barcelona, they didn't play that well and they won. Two seasons ago, Real Madrid didn't play too well and we won. Um, and right now, I I think um, what's interesting about Pedri, Gabi, Furman, Camavinga, Chuomeni, Fede, Jude, they're all 99th percentile defenders for their position. That's just something to look at. Um, 
I mentioned this already, but usually when the generational midfielders would come up, like a Thiago or a Verratti or a Cruz, you, when they come up, they're not always great at also defending, but these guys are great. Um, Yavi obviously is a per- nearly perfect defender um, on other than Kamavinga and Fede. Um, but Pedri, interestingly, is by far, I would say, the best controller of all the players on both teams. And yeah, that I agree. We've, we've seen this weird phenomenon for two seasons now where Barcelona with Pedri are able to, like, they still have bad games with him now too, which is, I guess, a sign of where they've come. But when he's 100% healthy and he's played 10 games in a row, they usually control the games to a degree that they don't without it. And I guess in the past, this is we've seen a Barcelona team with Xavi and Iniesta look better than without, but... It's so rare that a player changes the system so much. In in the past, I felt the coach would bring some aspect of control with him, whether that was Luis Enrique or Guardiola. Um, And then we saw the players decline, which meant they couldn't control games. But this is the first time I feel like we've seen at Barcelona a player make them control games in a way that they can't otherwise. Yep. I would probably argue that out of the lot, I completely agree that Pedri is the best at controlling games no doubts but defensively I think Kamavinga is the best because I have seen him manhandle Lionel Messi in a World Cup final and as an Argentina fan I had my like balls frozen for the entire time Kamavinga was on the pitch one of the France goals in the finals was I think from a Messi giveaway that Kamavinga won the ball from him and I don't remember at this time like which goal it was but one of the France goals was a result of a Kamavinga recovery of Messi. So, again, Kamavinga at a very early age has been exposed to so much defensive adversity as a left back uh, that he has had to pick up the skills like on the job. So, and the sample size also speaks in favor of Kamavinga because Pedri, as good as defensively he is, sorry, uh, Gavi, as good as defensively he is. He hasn't actually played as a quote-unquote defender. Kamavinga like, almost plays every other week quote-unquote as a defender. So we also have that like direct sample size uh, for in favor of Kamavinga. And also like people don't give enough credit to defenders. It is, it is a difficult job uh, with the kind of offensive you know, innovations that have been going around the coaching world. Defenders' jobs are getting difficult more and more. And for someone uh, as creative as Kamavinga to, you know, suppress all of those creative urges in a field and just to focus on one side of the pitch, just to focus on one aspect of his game and to do that consistently, I think, uh, shout out to Kamavinga for that particular for that particular matter. I have, like, we'll, we'll end on a funnier note. Do you watch Black Mirror any by any chance? Not anymore. Used to, though. You've seen okay, a lot yeah. of this. It would be, I think it would be a very good Black Mirror episode where like every time a team's supporters talk shit about their team's play, like playing style when they're actually winning, like Barcelona fans do, uh, all those points get scrapped from the table. Like if a Barcelona fan said, (laughs) says, uh, we, we won this, but we didn't deserve to three points off of the La Liga table. That would make a great Black Mirror episode, I think. Yeah, yeah, a lot of trash talking. I mean, we've never seen so many good young midfielders on both teams 
at such young ages, I feel that's also contributing to the trash talking because um, like out of, out of nowhere, we had our new generation and their new generation they should have had in, in 2018 took a few years because of Bartomeu to show up and <laughs> that just them all cropping up at the same time has been interesting and Barcelona having that spell under Xavi when all their young guys played really well and then we won the Champions League after that. It's been, it's just, I think, created a lot of hatred. Um, because if you think about it, like, Pedri, Gabi, they haven't really won anything other than that one La Liga yet. Yeah. And um, even on our end, like, we are resting on the laurels of that one season we had two years ago. So, some way to go before their generation. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to pivot a little bit. I'm going to, like, still stay with the younger generation. What do you think about uh, Guler's recent relapse? Well, not really relapse. It's a new injury. And not just Guler being injured. Also, did you see the news that the club sacked the chief medical officer? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I was happy that that happened. Also, like, I thought that was long overdue. It There was a clear pattern that our players don't recover from injuries uh, on time. It has happened with, like, Bale, Hazard, uh, Benzema, even for Varane for a little bit as well. Hazard is a like special case, of course, but still, I think the club should have identified this pattern earlier. If that is the reason why they sacked this guy, this could be like a completely logistical decision as well. Uh, it just could be that Marca and AS are painting it like that, that if because of Goulart, they sacked the medical officer. I'm a little bit skeptic that that's the real reason. So, two questions. Uh, what do you think about Goulart's relapse and what do you think about this sacking? Also, news got out today that the club is actually not hiring a new doctor. They're like whoever Dr. Nico Mihic's uh, deputy was. Uh, he was pre- he previously worked at Granada. He's now at Real Madrid since 2021. He's just basically getting promoted to the new medical officer. Uh, in a group chat, we were just joking that we can't even sign a new doctor, man. How can, how are we <laughs> dreaming of signing Alfonso Davies and uh, Mbappe and all these guys? Uh, so, yeah, your your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the doctors are always big, obviously, as we saw with Pedri. Like these, honestly, it's sad that like with all these generational talents, it, the medical team is more important than anything now. Like we don't get to even see half of them yet stay healthy. Um, even on Sufati, so many cases. So, yeah, I'm glad we took action because you see clubs across Europe dealing with these problems. Liverpool, every 18 months, they have some big injury crisis. Um, Man City, even when they get everything right, they get injuries, Barcelona and us. And, we, you know, getting a lot of questions recently on whether Pintus was the problem. And I thought, first of all, just I never thought Pintus was the problem. So seeing someone else get sacked, and not Pinterest is a green flag for me because there, I, I think I mentioned this every time people ask, like there are six or seven different components that go into injury prevention. It's um, how you eat, who your doctor is, how you condition yourself, uh, how you sleep. So, and each of one of these things needs a different professional. So Pinterest not being fired, I think was very good. Um, I don't know what this doctor's role was, but I've always been pro taking more action in this area i think a lot of teams in europe can do more so that was good to see i don't think it's an end of the world that you don't hire someone from outside too because um as i said there's all in each component 
you're usually going to have like a team of people working on just nutrition and just on other aspects. This is something I'm learning about myself. Um, you need a team to implement it. So a lot, in a lot of cases, if the top person is wrong with what he's doing and you have someone beneath him who can give better advice, that's all you need. It's um, because the program is going to be run by the top dog usually. So it sounds like we let go of the top dog who was right, like making some key decisions. Like there's going to be people who go implement things and there's going to be people who decide creatively like, hey, let's delay this procedure or let's go bring him back sooner. And um, it sounds like we've changed the person who's going to be making the overarching decisions. So I'm happy to see action. I hadn't made the connection between this doctor and all the injuries. I've just gotten desensitized to like people get injured on every team. What does that tell you about the medical professional on every team? You know, it's just, it means there's a gap in what needs to be done and what's being done. So I hadn't realized who it was, but to see action being taken, like, it's always a good thing. Like Barcelona fans are, have been clamoring for a long time and they, they arguably need the same thing with all their muscle injuries. So it's always a good moment. It, these moments don't come around too often. I would say let's, let's pray that this leads to change because they're not going to go sack someone tomorrow. if This doesn't work. Yeah, uh, obviously, obviously. And all these like muscle injuries over the years have, I've always been intrigued that does it only happen to Real Madrid? Because I don't really keep track of who's getting injured for what at other clubs. Like obviously I see the news and stuff, but not, not to the level of detail that I, you know, follow Real Madrid players in that regard. Yeah. But, um, uh, yep, go ahead, go ahead. I, I would just say I, I've kept more track over the years. And one thing that stands out is everybody gets hurt no matter where they are. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, like you, even someone as generational as Pedri, like he's already had what 18 months now of, of a very injury ridden career. So people are getting hurt everywhere. One, um, I mean, look at Kevin De Bruyne coming off the treble. He may never be the same again. Like players like Mo Salah who never get hurt are really rare. Um, so since that's rare, already you have, I think there's a burden on most clubs to take action. So that's where I would say it's a good moment as a Real Madrid fan. Even though we didn't hire someone new, there's just room for clubs to look at what they're doing already and say, hey, let's do better. And so this is just Real Madrid's way of doing that. And I'm, if, it's, if it took Guler getting hurt, that's good. Because as you said, Gareth Bale... I'd say out of everyone I watched in football, Gareth Bale is the one I have the most PTSD from because um, <laughs> what we're seeing from Pedri now, we already saw it from Bale. Yeah. One day you're yeah. generational, the next, it takes 18 months. Um, the first 18 months of injuries, you don't realize what's happening, but you're seeing a generational talent get robbed from your very eyes. That's what's happening in a lot of these cases um, because availability is such a big part of it. And that just going back to that discussion of all who's the best out of all these young players, the most available one is that's where, you know, Pedri is not in the conversation right now in many ways. He might be the most talented of them all, but he's also the least fit of all of the young midfielders. Gabby plays way more than him. So as of now, Gabby's going to have a better career. Um, and yeah, this is just an area where it, that's where I, I even tweeted. I deleted it, but I tweeted when Guler got hurt. Like it would be an honor to work with him if you ever need, just because if I was, I'm hoping that Guler is the last talented Real Madrid player that I have to watch get injured like this ever yeah. in my lifetime. And so yeah, the club probably feels the same way. Yep. All right, Sid, uh, that was great. We'll actually call it a day for this episode here. Uh, it's been a great discussion. Uh, we will keep the content flowing on the Real Deal podcast. 
do keep us following at Real Deal Pods. We will be back with episode four soon. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.